The Old Testament lesson this morning is from the book of Ruth, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. The word of the Lord. People every so often ask me how we choose the Bible readings for any given Sunday. And I say that while we don't have prescribed readings, we choose to utilize something called the Common Lectionary. It's a set of readings put into place several decades ago by the Common Lectionary Committee, an ecumenical group. There's an Old Testament reading, there's a psalm, generally there's a epistle reading or a portion of one of the letters later on in the New Testament, and then a gospel reading for every Sunday. At some churches, you'll hear all four of those readings on a Sunday morning. Here, you'll hear 
one or two, maybe the psalm as part of our call to worship. Though they're not prescribed to us, I've always appreciated the lectionary. It helps in planning with music and Sunday school. It allows much of the Bible, though not all of the Bible, to be considered in a three-year cycle. And it invites a preacher to consider more broadly material that she or he might not choose if left to their own devices. My point in telling you all this this morning is to let you know that this Sunday and next Sunday, the lectionary offers the book of Ruth, a personal favorite of mine. And it won't come around again for another three years. So this Sunday next, you can kind of get a two-for-one deal on Ruth. I'd invite you this afternoon to read the whole effort, the letter. It's just a few pages long. It won't take you more than ten minutes. Now, Ruth might seem familiar from countless weddings you've attended. And that's good, even though it was hardly initially intended for a wedding ceremony. I'll do a little summary in a bit and some themes for us to think about this Sunday and more deeply next Sunday, but first I want to tell you a story, which is actually two stories in this year of stories. Presbyterian ordination of ministers of word and sacrament, as we are called, can be a rigorous process, and rightly so. While that process can be nurturing and affirming, and my process generally was, It can also feel like some hoop jumping, which I expect is true of all professional credentialing experiences. Now, in our process, a whole bunch of things happen at the same time. You go to seminary to get a degree called a Master of Divinity, a title that's always amused me just a little bit. That's typically a three-year degree with Greek, Hebrew, theology, Bible, and other assorted delights. And at the same time, you come under the care of a presbytery who supports you and assesses you and ultimately decides whether you're ready for ordination or not. You take five examinations. They're called standard ordination examinations, ORDS for short. Bible content, biblical interpretation, theology, worship and sacraments, Presbyterian polity and governance, and they are a treat, as you might imagine. And then after all that, there's another examination, an in-person one, which includes a thorough exploration of your theological beliefs and what we call your fitness for ministry. And depending on the presbytery, those can be fairly friendly events or fairly tough ones, these examinations. Now, I went through the ordination process in Ohio, but since I was being called to a church in Chicago, I was examined by Chicago Presbytery late in the evening after a very long and contentious Presbytery meeting. It's not how you want it to go, by the way. And it was not exactly a grueling experience, but it wasn't a love fest either. But I passed, nevertheless, here I am, Now the story about all of that is that in the process of being examined by Chicago Presbytery, I had to preach a sermon for a committee in a conference room in an office building. 
It was hardly worshipful, and it was hardly a friendly audience. Nevertheless, again, here I am. And because I had written one of my standard ordination examinations on the book of Ruth, I decided to preach on it. That's the whole point of what I have just told you. And I told that day, the committee, this story that I'm about to tell you now. I told them about my grandparents, my father's parents, Parker and Janet Wilkinson. Parker was a coal miner born in Western Maryland. Now, my other grandfather was a coal miner born in West Virginia. Parker fought in World War I in Germany and in France. My other grandfather, my mom's dad, fought in World War II in the Pacific Theater. Now, both of my grandfathers moved to Akron, Ohio to work for the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company to avoid black lung disease that was plaguing many of their friends and relatives, and more so, to make a better life for their wives and their children, which they certainly did. Parker and Janet bought a home. In fact, it was a Goodyear tract home. They were loving parents of my dad, their only child. They were active Presbyterians. Janet pried Parker away from the Methodist church, as happens sometimes. They celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary in 1974. I was 12 years old. I remember a big party, a big, wonderful celebration in the basement of the church where I had been baptized. And soon thereafter, soon after this wonderful celebration, and very sadly so, Janet, my grandmother, became ill. And then quickly she became very ill. All I remember about that is the term, which I still have to concentrate to say, arterial sclerosis. But what I also remember, what I am thankful for to this day, what I in fact see in you all, day in and day out, as you care for those you love, an ailing parent, an ailing spouse, a member of this church, what I remember is love. Love. Deep, faithful, steadfast, covenantal love. Now, as you might guess, the ravages of this illness were difficult. But my grandfather, my coal miner, factory worker, World War I veteran grandfather would have nothing of it. He cared and cared for her. When the upstairs steps became too difficult to manage, a hospital bed was moved into the living room, and then for more than a year, this man slept on a couch next to his beloved, caring for her, feeding her, bathing her, tending to her, like many men of his generation, he had never cooked a day in his life, but he learned how to do it. And it's what we do. It's what you do. Caring for an ailing parent, or an ailing spouse, or a member of this church. She died, mercifully. And he lived another ten years 
Driving one Sunday morning, a Palm Sunday, to church, parking in the church parking lot, sitting down in his pew, falling asleep, never to get up again. And what I remember today, what I told an ordination examination committee in a conference room preaching a sermon, was his story, their story, unquestioned, unbegrudged, unlimited care, steadfast, covenantal love, their story, which I believe to be Ruth's story and Naomi's story. It's read at weddings, which is fine, Yet, as Donna read it just a few moments ago, you know that it goes deeper than that, more broadly than that. Again, we'll play out the themes more fully next week, including why Ruth matters both in the very intimate relationships like marriage or caring for an ailing parent, and in broader contexts like the Pulse nightclub, or Mother Emanuel AME Church, or the Tree of Life Synagogue. Here's the first part of the synopsis. There is a famine in the Judean countryside, and a man, Elimelech, takes his wife Naomi and his two sons to the neighboring country of Moab. Elimelech dies soon thereafter. The two sons marry Moabite women. You might recognize their names, Orpah and Ruth. Then the sons die. You have Naomi, an immigrant, refugee widow, and her two widow daughters-in-law. Naomi pleads with these daughters-in-law to return to their lives to build a new future. They in turn pledge their faithfulness to their mother-in-law, and she pleads again and again, passionately. And Orpah makes the decision to return, which is acceptable. It's what her mother-in-law wanted. Ruth stays. Ruth stays. And they return to Bethlehem, where we will conclude the story next Sunday. But before we do, perhaps we can hear again these iconic words, Ruth's insistent words with this context in mind, the context of death and grief and fear and an unknown and uncertain future. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. In the face of extraordinary challenge and threat, Ruth demonstrates extraordinary kindness, loving kindness, covenantal, faithful kindness. She did not have to. By custom and practice and tradition and by her own mother-in-law's insistence, she did not have to. But she did. She stayed. And it was that kindness, that love, that I wanted to tell a presbytery committee about in a Chicago meeting room some 30 years ago. It is that kindness, that love, that you all demonstrate every day as you care for loved ones who are dying. It is that kindness, that love, that we've seen on full display 
In the aftermath of the Tree of Life Synagogue massacre in Pittsburgh, love, steadfast covenantal love that will not wane in the face of debilitating illness or aching fatigue or insurmountable circumstance or hatred or fear. It is how Parker committed to Janet. It is how Ruth committed to Naomi. It is how we commit to one another. It is how God commits to us. Edward Campbell, one of my seminary professors, preached my first installation service, wrote a beautiful commentary on the book of Ruth. He writes about Ruth's extraordinary, unobtrusive loyalty. The storyteller Campbell writes, and this is indeed a grand story in our year of stories, the storyteller is not preachy, not preachy at all, but simply tells us a story of what living a responsible, righteous, determined life looks like in the face of every kind of hardship. Given every kind of choice, Ruth chooses love. Given the choice of deep despair, or rolling up his sleeves and caring for his dying wife, my grandpa chose love. Given the choices of shrugging our shoulders, or even worse than that, at racism and anti-Semitism and homophobia and gun violence, we choose love. Whether on the grandest of world stages, or the simple, granular lives of two ordinary people, we choose love. So that these words become our words. Where you go, I will go. Your people shall be my people. Amen.